flavour on Cambridge 105 Radio with The Swoop, Cambridge's exciting new retail taproom. Experience local on Green Street. To find out more, visit them at theswoop.co.uk. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pints. My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to Flavour, food and drink news for Cambridge and South Cambridgeshire. It's Alan Alder and myself, Matt Bentman, in the studio today. Sue Bailey is on holiday. And today, the heat and the drought, they're impossible to ignore. But we find out what two local food growers make of it and which crops are surviving and which aren't. We get some advice from Dave Fox of Trumpington Allotments about how to deal with the drought if you're growing your own food, and we talk about celiac disease too. Uh, we visit the Orchard Tea Garden in Grantchester, and as usual, we'll be bringing you a roundup of local food news, and at the end of the programme, some job vacancies too. But first, this drought and hot weather seem endless, although there is some heavy rain forecast for the beginning of the coming week, and it's really quite concerning. But what about the farmers? How do they feel about it? And how are our food supplies being affected? I spoke with Adrienne Gordon of Sweet Pea Market Garden and Simon Steele of Mayfield Produce, both of whom sell on various markets around Cambridgeshire. But I asked them first what the good news is. We've definitely seen our tomatoes ripen really fast and courgettes are absolutely booming. We have so many of them. Well, the aubergines are doing very well in the tunnels and the peppers. So, yeah, and I mean, everyone's enjoying it, everyone's smiling. Yeah, there's not, there's not the doom and gloom about, oh, raining again. Well, tomatoes, courgettes and aubergines are enjoying the weather, but what about other crops, Adrienne? There are definitely some things that are enjoying it. There are also things that aren't accustomed to really hot conditions um, that well, we are struggling to grow. <laughs> like what sort of thing? Things like lettuces, they're always a bit of a risk in the summer, but they're much more likely to go to seed in the hot weather. Simon agrees. It's now getting to the point that we're starting to lose quite a few crops, um, especially the stuff that we've planted recently that hasn't got its roots down and is really struggling to get established. So what sort of things? Uh, lettuce, parsley, celery, fennel, some cabbages, some winter cabbages, sprouts. So the crops for winter are suffering too. All of our winter crops are finding it hard to get going, so we are worried about what we're going to have later on in the uh, year. Right. We're trying to get the last of the drillings in, the carrots and the beetroot, etc., for the winter. Uh, and where we're drilling them, we just can't get them to germinate unless we throw the water at them. And we haven't got the water at the moment to throw at them. So what's happening to the crops which are, which are growing, which did germinate? Are they, um, are they loving it or are they...? <laughs> no, most of them are starting to really suffer. They're, 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 they're smaller in size um, and they're a bit yeah, firm in quality, I should say. And, and said, yeah, just not really growing very well at all at the moment. We're really struggling to keep up with things. But it's not just the dry, hot conditions. Insects, too, are having a go. And there's certain pests that are more prevalent in the hot conditions, like flea beetle, which means that we can't have radishes or turnips or any sort of brassica growing at the moment. Right, they go for the... I thought they just went for the leaves, so they get into the, into they, the roots as no, well. No, they just go for the leaves, but they do so much damage that the plants can't recover um, because they need the leaves to photosynthesise. So. Yeah. so, watering is needed, but that has drawbacks too. Water is a scarce resource in the east of England. And then there's the costs involved. And the pumping of water must take up, well, it must be a cost, but also there must be more of your time involved. Yeah, I mean, I'm, at the moment, I'm spending about five hours a day on irrigation, just moving the machines, moving the pipes, just taking them around and around the field. So, it's, yeah, it's just a... And normally I would only be doing it you know, one or two hours a day on average. And at the moment, we're just having to keep going all the time. 
on top of everything else. Right. So if things are smaller, presumably your income is suffering somewhat. It potentially will be, yes, it will be. And, for, and paying for the water. Pay, paying for the water, and, the, and it's the pumping, it's the cost of the diesel for the pumping that's more. The, the water itself it isn't as expensive, it's the pumping that's the, the money. Because yeah. the price of the diesel that we use has trebled this year. Right. And, I mean, eventually it will rain, but what you're saying about the crops that you've been putting in recently not germinating, we're going to still feel the effects of this we will right over through, winter. Right through the winter. It's going to be right through the winter. I can see it now. It's stuff is going to be shorter. Um, Sh- shorter in... in terms of quantity. Yeah. Um, and quality questionable as well. We just don't know. Yeah. Um, Adrienne has a smaller operation and is able to take a different approach. Yeah, yeah. We, we've invested quite heavily in um, drip lines, which water on the soil surface, and we do that overnight so that we're not having any problems with evaporation. But yes, we're using, well, some, we're losing some crops just because we don't want to waste water yeah. on them. And have you done anything to try and make the, the soil more water-retentive, or is it too early in your farming? Yeah, in our first that? year it's a bit tricky, but we've added compost on the top of the surface as a mulch. We're using cardboard and even some wool from a local shepherd as a, as a mulch and wood chip as well. Just to stop the water evaporating yeah, from the soil? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're doing everything we can. We, yeah. we wanted to sow some like living mulches, like clover, but we didn't have enough rain for them to actually get established, so we didn't manage to under-sow our squash and our kale like we hoped to. Um, what, you've put clover at the base? Yeah, so short-growing clover, because it's um, a legume, it's nitrogen-fixing, so it actually feeds the, the plants whilst also keeping the soil covered because that's the most important thing for water retention and soil health is that there's always roots, living roots, in the soil. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So a challenging first year. Yes. <laughs> it can only get better. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Simon's having to think about what can be done differently. So are you considering changing the sort of ratio of what you grow, like more aubergines? You know, because... Yeah, hot, I mean, we see, yeah, thinking of perhaps putting some of them outdoors as well now and giving it a try outside rather than just in the tunnels next winter, next summer. Yeah. And also just... We're going to have to think about timing to perhaps get stuff in earlier to, so it gets its roots down better. Um, yeah, because anything that's got its roots down is just about OK. It's, it's the stuff that we plant... Because we plant right throughout the summer. So is anything that we're planting now is, or in the last month is really struggling. Yeah, right. OK, and the weather forecast, so you It's have... more dry for the next 10 days. Is it? Yeah. Uh, and no doubt it'll go back to like 76 and it'll start raining in September and won't stop until Christmas. <laughs> then and then be... we'll all be moaning about having it too much water. <laughs> then it'll be waterlogged. And then... <laughs> yeah, we won't be able to get anything out of the ground. Well, we'll see. Our farmer's <laughs> choice is never happy. <laughs> <laughs> OK, thanks very much, That's right. You're still smiling. Anyway. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. And thanks to Adrian Gordon and Simon Steele. Adrian's Sweet Pea Market Garden is on Cambridge Market every Wednesday, opposite the back of Great St Mary's Church, and at the fortnightly Farmer's Market in St Ives, and that's held on the first and third Saturdays of the month, and also at Impington Farmer's Market on the 20th of August from 9 until noon. Simon is at Cambridge Market on Sundays, which he's a very well-known feature, and also at St Ives' Farmers Market and at Ely Market. Okay, and a little later in today's programme, we're going to be having allotments here, Dave Fox, on how to cope with drought conditions if you're growing your own food. Yeah, and he has some really very practical advice, as you would expect mm. from, from Dave Fox. Actually, when I was at the Sweet Pea Market Garden Stall, I bought some of their tomatoes, Adrian said, how they were all ripening quite quickly. And I bought a variety, you know, she has quite a variety of types of tomato, which I'm, I'm always interested to try. One of which was actually called Brad's atomic grape so I had to have some of those but the reason well actually and having bought these things of course I had to decide what good thing to do with them so I searched through my various cookbooks and so on and came across a recipe which is actually in a Guardian supplement from 
I'm not sure when, which is Felicity Cloak's suggestions on making salads. And here's a salad called Caprese, which is an Italian salad which requires tomatoes of different shapes and sizes, including some slightly underripe or acidic varieties. So anyway, I was going to make it yesterday, but I didn't get back until very late, so it's going to be a, a treat for tonight. And so that's why I bought these tomatoes. But Reading Felicity Cloak's introduction to this, one of the ingredients in it is basil. And she says she finally realised why so many chefs, including Angela Hartnett, call for basil with small leaves. And this is Genovese basil, which apparently is the proud holder of a European protected designation of origin and has tiny leaves and an intensity of fragrance and flavour that makes it almost unrecognisable for those of us used to the standard sort. It's so sweet, it's almost clove-like, Felicity Cloak says. And she also says it's pretty expensive and fiendishly hard to get hold of. And that's not something I've come across, have you? I know, haven't So anyway, I'm going to try and find out... Maybe I'll just grow my own, find some seeds. But anyway, that's a, a Angela Hartnett thing. And in today's Guardian, there's a question and answer with Angela Hartnett, you know, being interested in food people, I read. One of the many things that they ask is, what's the worst job you've ever done? And I must say, washing up in the Ford factory canteen in Dagenham does sound pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember your worst job? I don't know. I've had a worse job, actually. I think my worst job was working out in the fields for a pound an hour. I must have done that back in the late 80s, yeah. I think. And that was pretty back-breaking work, but it was the only work available at the time where, to where I was living. Yes, you've suffered, man. <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, that Brad's Atomic Grape, have you tasted it yet? No, or did they no. describe what it would be No, like? I haven't tasted it yet. I, I can't wait to taste it. I've managed to wait. But because I, got, I went to see my daughter yesterday, I got back a four-hour train journey, which would normally take two to two and a half hours. So I got back too late to make it, so All right. I'll try tonight. And I will let you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, it sounds quite interesting. I was wondering if it's going to be quite a deep, rich flavour. You, you know how, like, they were talking about some of the crops that were suffering? Of course, some of the crops that would be benefiting right now would be your things like your plums and your blackberries, where the, they would be getting a much richer, denser, sharper flavour, wouldn't they? Not sharp, and that's not the right word. But they would be... Well, if they get enough water, I think they're do- yeah, I think they're doing well. Yeah, mm. yeah, defo. I'm free. I'm free. Now details of free food available in and around Cambridge. The information about what's available and where to get it comes from the Olio app, which exists so that people's or businesses' surplus food doesn't go to waste. That's right. And taking a look at Olio today shows us that Claire, who lives in Arbury, has some loaves of bread to give away, a whole meal and some two-square toasty-style loaves. Leanne, who is on the way to Girton, has a TT hot pack rice cake going spare. And Catherine in Sawston has a glut of milk kefir grains. She's been growing this at home. It's live stuff. So she feeds it every day with full fat milk and she simply can't bear binning it. Uh, Catherine says that she can provide anybody who is interested with two tablespoons of grains to get them started. So do please message her if you're interested. Mm, Golly. Right. There's another free app which we mention every time called Too Good To go. It has unsold food from restaurants and shops, often at less than half price, and rather than specifying each leftover item, the surplus food is simply packaged as a magic bag, ready for you to take home, and that's instead of it being binned at the end of the day's trading. And some outlets in Cambridge, which have recently been offering food in this way, include Yo Sushi, Delice de France, Nine's Global Buffet, Upper Crust at the Station, Kimoy in Burley Street, Greg's in Fitzroy Street, Lola's Cupcakes, Budgeons in Arbury, the Ibis by the Hotel and Hotel Juvin in Trumpington Street. So there is a wide variety of places you can get food cheaply from. Good stuff. Okay, moving on to our first news break now. We begin with wine. Amphora in Devonshire Road has a tasting of wines from Hungary on the 24th of August. Then it's tastings from Georgia on the 31st of August, from central Italy on the 7th of September, and on the 14th it will be Chilean wines. 
All start at 8pm and all cost £30. This month, Cambridge Wine Merchants has a focus on South African wines and you can buy three or more bottles and get 10% off. Uh, That's both online and in their shops. There's also a South African tasting flight at the Bridge Street and Cherry Hinton shops where you can get four samples, a fizz, a white and two reds for £12. Cambridge Wine School has a wine and cheese pairing event on the 8th of September. It's in Station Road and it costs £40. The Wine Rooms in Hills Road is hosting some WSET courses, which will be run by the Cambridge Wine Academy. There's a Level 1 course on the 4th of September from 10 till 5, and Level 2 will run on Sundays from the 9th to the 23rd of October, and another Level 1 day happens on the 6th of November. Market House in Market Square is giving a complimentary welcome drink when you dine in their main restaurant during August. The Cambridge Juice Company is selling a local cola and it's produced without the aid of e-numbers by Breckland Orchard. It's made from barley malt extract and lemon. Pina Broccoli Anaya of 1-2 Culinary Stew fame has developed a craft beer in collaboration with Brewboard of Harston. It's called Ripina. It's available now in cans. On the 25th of August, Amphora is hosting an evening with Levante Kitchen, matching Italian delicacies to glasses, a flight or bottles of wine. Tasting boards are available on pre-order only and they consist of four small plates, freshly baked focaccia and dessert for £30. There'll be a selection of small plates too, which you can just get on the night. You don't need to order in advance, but bookings are being taken now. Parker's Tavern's next Rubbish Cooks is on the 30th of August at 6pm. Our booking is available now. Finn Boys in Mill Road have a Spanish wine and dinner night on the 7th of September. And Levante Kitchen is providing focaccia and small plates at the Pastori Taproom on the 20th of August. This taproom is open from 12 till 6 and the food is available from 12 till 3. You can order the full aperitivo board in advance, but there will be plenty of other food available on the day. And beers include wild beers available in bottles. And Levante Kitchen are being incredibly busy. They have also a fresh pasta pop-up in Station Road on the 26th of August in the space next to the Clayton Hotel, where there will be freshly made tagliatelle, pasta sauces and pesto. Jamra, the Middle East-inspired street food van, has its first outing tonight. That's Saturday and it'll be in Hazlingfield. It's from 5 till 8pm outside the Village Hall. Novi in Regent Street has a live DJ, bottomless brunch, games and entertainment on the 27th of August, the late summer bank holiday, and the cost is £35. And we'll have more news later. Certainly will. Now, we've heard a little about farmers' opinions of the droughts, but what about the punters? I mean that literally, as we head now down the river towards Grantchester for this next feature, which is actually pulled from our archives. One summer at the Orchard Tea Garden. Oh, the factories may be roaring With the boom a zoom a wee But there isn't any roar when the clock strikes four Everything stops for tea So what we're trying to do here is maintain in the orchard a corner of England where time stands still as the outside world rushes by. Gorgeous sunny day, everybody is out. We want people to relax and enjoy the gentle setting where more famous people have taken tea than probably anywhere else in the world. I only know that you may lie day long and watch the Cambridge sky and flower lulled in sleepy grass Hear the cool lapse of hours pass until the centuries blend and blur in Grantchester, in Grantchester. So I live just up the road in uh, Trumpington. Just been out on a 40k bike ride, taking in the summer sunshine. Just stopped in at the Orchard Tea Rooms for a nice cup of tea and a scone with jam and lots of clotted cream. Well, we have 300 and something deck chairs out. Okay. And everyone is, is taken. Bring tea for the man, stick for the sun. I'm Charles Bunker. I'm the director of the Orchard Tea Garden. The orchard was first planted in 1868. A group of Cambridge students asked Mrs. Stevenson of Orchard House if she would serve tea beneath the blossomed fruit trees rather than was as usual on the front lawn of her garden. They were unaware that on that spring morning they'd started a great Cambridge tradition. It was very relaxing. 
You know, you can understand why people have been spending their time up here for the last 200 years or so. Very little has changed in the orchard since then. In order to supplement their income, the Stevensons took in lodgers at Orchard House. And in 1909, a young graduate of King's College, Cambridge, took up residence. His name was Rupert Brooke. Brooke had fallen in love with the idyllic life in Grantchester. On a trip to Berlin, he wrote one of his best-known poems, The Old Vicarage at Grantchester. And little kindly winds that creep round twilight corners, half asleep. Well, I first started coming to the orchard 15 or 16 years ago when I was down here as a, a postgrad. Now live on the north coast of Scotland and I've come down to visit friends. But we always come down here. I love coming down here so much. It's so nice to be able to sit underneath the apple blossoms and have a nice cup of tea and homemade cakes. And it's, it's just the atmosphere of the orchard. It's not one of these generic places where everything's standardised. It's homemade, it's a lovely atmosphere, you have children running around. It's just such a relaxing place to come to. So we walked into the Orchard Tea Rooms from Cambridge City Centre and I couldn't believe the number of people there were punting up the river. It was brilliant. Oh, is the water sweet and cool? gentle and brown above the pool. So you said that you've come back here after being away for 10 years. That's right. We now live in Arizona. We lived here in Cambridgeshire for a little while, but this was one of our favorite places to come. But it was such a quintessential English place with so much history. We absolutely love it. When we lived here, we didn't have children yet, and now we've got two little boys, and we wanted to bring them back to some of our favorite places, and top on the list was the orchard. And what have you been having here today? Well, of course, we have to have the clotted cream and a fruit scone with some jam. Scone. And, and, and some Earl Grey. The typical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're, in fact, very proud. Our scones are made here every day. The chefs actually arrive here very early in the morning, they make the scones, they also make the bread. The bread that goes with the soup is all homemade here. And it's one of the reasons that we stop serving our light lunches at three o'clock, because we need our chefs to start building the next batch of scones for the afternoon teas. So it is the one thing, you know, the scones are made freshly every day. The cream especially comes from Cornwall, they're large cartons. We could certainly make money by scooping out industrial cream, but we choose the cream because it's the largest carton that we can get our cream from. The jam is trip-free dram from the trip-free farm in Essex. So, yeah, we take quite a lot of pride in the ingredients. And we have a fantastic group of chefs. Honestly, today, beating out under this wonderful May sun, we have to remember that while we're sitting under these beautiful trees, there is a team in there working damn hard to making sure that everybody else has a nice Sunday afternoon. So to my team in the kitchen, I praise them very highly and I say thank you very much. And Arizona compared to this, my only frame of reference is the Nicolas Cage film. Oh, raging Arizona, right, yeah. But it's, I mean, it's 100 degrees now there. So this is just a really nice, it's like for of spring, yeah, in Arizona. <laughs> In 1987, the orchard closed so that the land could be developed for residential housing. In 1992, however, it was acquired by a guy called Robin Callan. Robin Callan lived in Orchard House and he could not bear the thought of the orchard being lost. But thanks to a loan from Midland Bank, he was able to come to a deal with his tax man because that's really where he'd taken the money from in order to buy here, mm. pay his tax bills, and really save this place for England. So he really was a buccaneering guy. He died about two years ago and was so passionate about here remaining forever England that under his will, he's given the Orchard Tea Gardens, so the land that's here and the land that comprises Orchard House, into a charitable trust so, as he says, it can never be redeveloped. 
Robin loved the rustic wild growth of the orchard. To quote from his maintenance policy, the orchard tea garden is neither an orchard nor a tea garden. It's a nature reserve where people can take tea. Only the absolute minimum of pruning is permitted. This was not my chosen occupation. Robin Callan was my uncle. And so when he became poorly with Parkinson and in the latter years, it became my responsibility. And so it remains today. So as I say, the land's owned by a charitable trustees, but the day-to-day -day operation remains in my hands, mm -hmm. along with a wonderful general manager and a, and a team to look after everybody. Hi, my name's Liz and I'm having a lovely cup of tea with my friend Teresa. Recently I lost my father. She asked if I might like to come out and just just take stock after making the funeral arrangements. So um, I said, oh, where shall we go? Because we, we like our tea rooms. It's by the river, birdsong, the trees are in blossom. So um, that's what we did. I think we've now been here three hours. We've had lunch tea we've polished off a bottle of something non-alcoholic and we've been serenaded by a, a robin sitting in the tree and just telling Teresa how much my dad used to like taming the birds in his garden oh can you hear the birthday celebrations <laughs> oh that's nice It's a lovely place, the Orchard Tea Rooms. We're very lucky as locals to be able to come and visit it when we fancy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he can take him to you. Oscar, hey Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> so you're here today with Oscar, who's a lovely tricolour sheepdog. Yes, he gets a walk and we get a cup of tea and everyone gets to sit in the sun for a bit. Yeah, when it's a nice day, you can come down and they do really nice scones here and the tea is good and the dog always likes to go down to the river and he jumps in and it's just fun for everyone to be here. Isn't that right, Oscar? It's a yeah. good boy. It's a good boy. It's just such a nice thing to do on a sunny day to relax in the deck chairs and have a cup of tea. And I think all of Cambridge must be here today. tea. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's a beautiful afternoon, you know, 20 degrees, sun out. Where better to spend your time? We had a Sunday roast, a chicken salad. They were much bigger portions than traditional British portions, so we were a little taken aback by that. The deck chairs are part of what makes here unique. People migrate through here. The deck chairs move around, the tables move around. People find their own nice little spot. And I think it works beautifully. I think it's just part of old England. We're getting ice creams maybe in a minute. Has the coffee culture invaded here? We do serve proper ground coffee. I suspect that we are going to have to give in to a shush shush wang bang coffee machine at some stage in the future, but perhaps not this year, maybe next. And Cambridgeshire, of all England, the Shire for men who understand. And of that district, I prefer the lovely hamlet, Grantchester. Robin's ambition of keeping here forever England and the name of Rupert Brooke alive will continue. But on a day like today, as we sit under the sunshine, enjoy this marvellous place of Grantchester. It's just truly, truly fantastic. It is. It's a wonderful place and a great place to consider during this second heat wave. Many thanks to Charles Bunker of the Orchard Tea Garden in Grantchester and the many visitors who spoke to me. The tea gardens are open seven days a week across the summer from 10am to 6pm and they do cater for vegetarians and vegans, just so you know. You don't want to trek all the way there in this heat and not know that. Now, we could play you Pink Floyd's Grantchester Meadows about now, but instead we're going to head into a break and we will see you in two. Cambridge 105 Radio. Wednesday evenings on Cambridge 105 Radio is when we champion the Cambridge music scene. Tom Lumley of the band, Tom Lumley and the Brave Liaison. There'd always be 12 people from other bands going down to each other's gigs. And it wasn't just be part of Hollow Stars Classic Rock or Searching Grey's Indie. These people then started going to watch all of our gigs, singing the words to each other's songs and making it a good atmosphere. You could see it in the fact that it went from struggling to sell enough tickets for the corner house to selling out J2. 
New Music Generator with Tim Willett, Wednesday at 7 on Cambridge 105 Radio. Listen live on Radio Player. Are you suffering from buffering? Find yourself screaming, not streaming? Or do you just lag behind? Then it's time to demand better broadband. City Fibre is building a brand new full fibre network across the UK, giving you access to broadband from a range of providers that's more reliable and up to 20 times faster than average. So you can stream, game and video call without interruption. Get connected to full fibre today. Choose your provider at cityfibre.com slash Cambridge 105. CKLG Accountants are a friendly team of accountants and tax advisors with big firm expertise. I'm Lawrence, Director of CKLG, responsible for business services. We understand that running a successful business brings many challenges. Our experienced business services team provide a bespoke service and offer professional advice at every stage of your business journey, allowing you the freedom to focus more on what you do best. To find out more, call us on Cambridge 810100 to arrange an initial chat with one of our specialists or visit our website cklg.co.uk cklg accountants your partner in business your partner in life cambridge 105 radio flavor on cambridge 105 radio with the swoop cambridge's exciting new retail taproom experience local on green street to find out more visit them at theswoop.co.uk Okay, welcome back to Flavor, and we've just got time for some more news now. And if you fancy a food-related day out, a train ride from Cambridge to the Food Museum in Stowmarket on the 17th of September will enable you to hear a conversation between free food expert Richard Maybe and fungi expert John Wright. They'll be talking about all things hedgerow and their latest projects. That lasts from 2.30 till 4.15pm, and John Wright has a foraging walk in the grounds of the museum on the 17th of September from 11.30 to 12.30. News about summer closures. Scott's All Day in Mill Road will be closing on Tuesdays for the next few weeks, so operating a Wednesday to Sunday schedule, and that's to give staff some time off. Steak and Honours shop in Wheeler Street is closed until the 17th of August. They're having a break, but their vans will be operating as usual. Cambridge Cookery School Bistro is closed from the 22nd of August and will reopen on the 7th of September. And Amphora is closed from the 12th, i.e. yesterday, to the 18th of August. And in other news, Jason Howard, known as Chef Donkey, is hitting the streets of Cambridge for a week. Beginning on the 15th, he will be trading an onion to raise funds for a food shopping voucher to cook for Jimmy's Homeless Shelter. So look out for him. Uh, he will also be filming for his YouTube channel. Heath Fruit Farm in Bluntisham has a fantastic range of plums on sale at the moment, including Count Alphen's Gage, which is a purple gauge, Golden Gage... Avalon plums and Sanctus Hubertus plums. You can get them at Ely Market or from Heathfruit Farm's self-service kiosk, which is outside the farm Monday to Friday from 9 till 5, and also from Houghton Layby Monday to Friday, as well as from their farm shop. And that's all the news for today. More about the drought now. They are becoming quite frequent. Here's some advice from Dave Fox of Trumpington Allotments. It's from the archives. We recorded it in an earlier drought in 2020 and it's every bit as relevant today as it was then. Some people in Cambridge, as I'm sure you know, have allotments with no water supply. So, you know, they have a, a very hard time. But what can we do to reduce the need for watering? Pray. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. It's been extraordinary. I mean, if you anyone who doubts that our climate is changing, I mean, ask someone trying to grow veg around here. I mean, it's been extraordinarily dry and and hot. So a mulch has several advantages. It's going to hold the moisture in there. It's going to reduce evaporation by reducing evaporation, and it's also going to uh, help to prevent weed growth. So, yeah, and it's also as it's going to start rotting, so it's going to be adding some um, organic matter to the soil. Right. So the sort of that's a triple triple whammy for, for mulching. And, and what, you, what else can you use instead if you haven't got access to straw? Yeah, so I, pr I prefer straw or, or hay, but any organic material really. I mean, um, even grass clippings, although if they're still decomposing, they can get a bit hot, so you wouldn't want to put them too close to the stem. 
of a, uh, of a delicate um, plant. Um, compost, if you've got if you've got some thick la thick layers of compost, I mean, yeah, spread it spread it all over. You can also mulch with cardboard weighed down by stuff, although that's probably more of a probably more suitable for winter or when you're breaking in a breaking in a new bed. Um, the black stuff, I suppose. So the um, the soil conditioner made by Amy Sesper from the Curbside Collection of Green Waste. That's good. That's um, pretty um, free of weeds. So because of the high temperature process that it goes through, and it's closing the circle of recycling, isn't it? They collected it from your from your door, <laughs> and it's, it's, it, come, it comes back. So yeah. so so mulching to um, reduce evaporation, keep the moisture in, is probably the first. Um, the first recommendation to make watering easier when you're going to actually apply water make a little depression as you firm your seedlings in so that the water collects around the plant and doesn't just go running off um, another thing which i do quite a lot of, um <clears throat> you, i use a swan necked hoe just to draw up a, um, a little ridge of soil either side of the bed so that keeps the water in the bed so there I'm not thinking about um, watering individual plants I'm just soaking the whole bed but I'm losing nothing from the sides and, and the ends where I've created mm. these these little mm. ridges mm. Um, and just observe so um, inevitably water sort of breaks through the dam at some point and then just use your boot to sort of fill, 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 fill that up make sure you don't you don't lose any so at least you're getting the most you're getting the maximum um, benefit out of all that water that you have carried all the long, the long way from the uh, from from the water trough. Um, and some people talk about time of day of watering. Yes, absolutely. So what's that all about? Oh well, um, the best times are to water are when you're going to lose the least from immediate evaporation. So that means when the sun is down. So any time at night, but you can't see what you're doing then. So <laughs> uh, early morning. Or, or late evening are recommended and if you're in a mollusk environment who isn't frankly um, early morning is better because the mollusks tend not to be so active during the day because they're predators and the danger of getting caught out in, in hot sun so um, the mollusks are going to be more effective at night so if you water at nine in the evening then they can come out and have a good munch on your crops over, overnight whereas if you water in the morning they're less, much less likely to do that. So that is the um, recommendation. Of course, you know, some people have got other things in their lives, like jobs and children, people <laughs> <laughs> relatives to look after and so on. So, um, you know, coming to the allotment at 6am might not be possible for everyone. But And thanks very much to Dave Fox for his advice. <laughs> And there's the music signalling time for news from social media. Yes, quite a bit this morning. Um, Cambridge Sustainable Food needs some volunteers this coming week on the 16th and 17th of August to prepare holiday lunches. That's from 9 until 1pm. You can sign up for both days or any one of those days. On the 18th of August, they need a volunteer driver from 7 till 9am. On the 19th of August, a volunteer to help the Ackerman Street holiday lunch event, that's from 10.45am until 2pm. If you can help with any of those things, Cambridge Sustainable Food would be very pleased to hear from you. Email becca at cambridgesustainablefood.org. Calvary's have Instagrammed to say that a very nice thing to have in this hot weather is their berry sour, and it's currently available in one-litre takeout packs. Finn Boys... They've sold out tonight, no tables left, but they have some space next Saturday night and during the week. The Pear and Olive Scratch Kitchen in Hildersham has a Mediterranean tasting menu this week. If you want to book, the best way is to text them on 07961 690 008. And Mikado Central in Green Street, Cambridge, has a new item on the menu today, which I rather like the sound of, Cornish lamb with Girolles and smoked aubergine. And that's the late news from social media. Gluten-free is a term that we expect to find in most cafes and restaurants these days, even in general foodie conversation. 
But what is it like to be a celiac disease sufferer, though, for whom uh, a gluten-free diet is vital? I found this feature in the Flavor Archives where one of our presenters, Ruth Race, talking with Grace Wright about her experience. What does it really mean to be a celiac? So if you're a celiac, it is a bit different to just being gluten intolerant. So if you're just intolerant, you might still have like very severe symptoms if you eat gluten. But if you're a celiac, you might not necessarily have symptoms. Some people don't have any symptoms. And they can be all types of symptoms. It doesn't have to be just stomach-related. But basically, if you're a celiac and you continue to eat gluten, you're doing yourself long-term health damage. So your will either line your small intestine and attack themselves because it's an autoimmune disease. So your villi attack themselves and they end up getting flatter, which then means they can't absorb nutrients from anything. So lots of celiacs when they're diagnosed will have vitamin deficiencies or anemia. And then long term, obviously, that risks various health complications like osteoporosis because you haven't absorbed the calcium. You're at risk of other autoimmune diseases, which the risk returns to pretty much normal, I think, once you're diagnosed and follow the diet strictly. But if you continue to eat gluten, you're increasing your risk of all those complications, which if you're just intolerant, you're not increasing. You're going to make yourself feel ill if you eat it, but you're not at risk long term in terms of your health. So when I was first diagnosed, I thought it was a disaster. So I didn't know anything about it at all. You're told you've got a chronic condition and then the word disease is in there which I didn't like (laughs) it sounds horrible yeah Um, you have to give up lots of your favorite foods forever suddenly so it's not like something like Lent where you're gonna get it back you have to give it all up and that's it gone forever you can't have it again so then it makes going to the supermarket actually quite traumatic because you just go in and you think can't eat that can't eat that can't eat that and you're wandering the aisles and you just think I can't eat any of this anymore it's a massive lifestyle overhaul and you're obviously still feeling quite ill at this point because you're just starting out and having to cope with the adjustment. What does that mean when you go out to eat or when you sell catered? Like, is it really difficult to find things to eat? Well, I've actually, like, now I've got used to it. I think catering for myself I find fine because there's, all the shops have a free from range. The only inconvenience is that sometimes all the shops don't have all the staple items like bread and pasta and things, so you might end up having to go to several shops, which can be inconvenient. Uh, if you're sharing with people who do eat gluten to avoid contamination in the kitchen, so it means you've got to have your own toaster or use toaster bags, and then you need to just wipe down the surfaces after preparing things so there's not crumbs everywhere. But like cross-contamination is the biggest risk. In America, as I was having uh, some gluten-free pasta, um, and it was pen pasta, no, it was fusilli, that was it, and I found some macaroni in my dish, which obviously I knew was not gluten-free, so the dish was contaminated, they used the same utensils, transferred it into the dish. Yeah. Luckily I was okay, because I spotted it, I didn't eat it, but that could make someone seriously ill if they're senior. Because even traces, if you're senior, a crumb could make someone really ill. So in lots of places they will provide a gluten-free cake, but if you're if you're intolerant, you can have it. But if you're celiac, you can't really have it unless they've properly separated it. So if it's in with all the other cakes or positions, sometimes you even see the gluten-free cake on the same tray or plate, or you know crammed in in the same display. And if you're celiac, you can't have it because it might have been contaminated, which is a shame when they've gone to all the effort of providing it. So all you need to do is quite simple, really. Um, Carlucci is a, a particular one I've noticed that's very good at it. You just need to put it on a separate plate with the lid over it, or just a separate plate, not crammed in with the other things, and then just have a gluten-free spoon with it. So Carlucci's have a serving slice, and round it, they've just got GF spoon only. So then you just know, you feel reassured that it's safe. Eating out and about can be tricky. I normally carry a restaurant card from Celiac UK, which just explains about the importance of being gluten-free. You obviously you get to know a few trusted places that you like. I would research in advance and look at advice from other celiacs on, on blogs. Or Some restaurants have a separate gluten-free menu, which I would tend to favour because it makes it less confusing for me to have to choose. It makes you quite anxious if there's no, nothing marked because then you have to ask the waiter and he then has to go through it with you separately. And it's much easier if it just says GF next to it or can be made GF. Please ask. So you were diagnosed in March. Yeah. Have you seen an increase in yeah. gluten-free products since then? 
Yeah, definitely. Even though so it's only been seven months now, but even since then, there's like always new products coming out all the time, which I now find very exciting. Because um, before, you, you'd just sort of sit there and you'd be like, yeah, it's a croissant, or it's a pan of chocolate. And now it's like, oh my God, they bought a pan of chocolate. It's like an apple. Um, so it makes, everything, it makes eating more exciting. <laughs> it's a positive way of looking at it. Where can you buy yeah. into gluten unexpectedly? Okay, so obviously, you know, the standard like bread, pasta, blah, 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 that you yes. know. So unexpectedly, sauces, you always must check sauces because that might have been thickened with flour or, you know, might have it in. Oxo cubes, you have to check, you have to check those. So oxo cubes do have it in, but there are stock cubes that don't, so you just have to check that. Hot chocolate, gravy, ground almonds sometimes, say. Ground almonds? Yeah. I had I bought a packet to bake a cake and on the front it said great for gluten-free baking. So I was like, great. I was halfway through making the cake and it said on the side, may contain gluten. What? <laughs> so obviously it's too late then, so... Yeah. Pretty much anything that is in a packet or a jar or a tin, soups might have it in, you need to check. It makes you eat a healthier diet because you obviously have to make things from scratch sometimes and you have to watch your diet really carefully. It makes you more aware about what you're eating. <laughs> and then actually the gluten-free community, like particularly the CEAC community, is a really friendly group of people. So you could, there's lots of good advice available. It gives, it makes you more interested in food, more interested in cooking and baking. There's, there is worse things to have. Yes, definitely. So it's more just a pain. It's annoying, but you can make it into like a positive. I think there's lots of positives that that come out of it. So, what do different cafes and bakers think about gluten-free products? Are they taking the necessary measures that Grace mentioned about keeping the gluten-free foods well away from the others? Ruth asked some various uh, eateries in town, some still here, some that are gone, including Urban Larder, Black Cat Cafe, and the Rainbow Cafe, asking them their thoughts on gluten-free products and what they do to make sure that it stays gluten-free in their own establishments. Yes, there's quite a big demand in this area for gluten-free cakes. Um, the reason we de- do them is because we quite like flourless recipes that have a lot of ground nuts in them instead of flour. So for me, taste-wise, I quite like these flourless recipes but at the same time there is a demand out there for them because of food intolerance. They do sell, they do sell quite well. Um, They cost more to make than a flour based cake but I think um, the taste is there, the moisture is there and the texture is there so they're very popular. Um, Gluten free, you've got lots here in Urban Larder. Has it been very popular? Yeah, when I first opened the shop which was over in Hope Street Yard The lady that was baking for the shop would bake in gluten-free just because a friend of hers had recently been diagnosed with celiac disease. So she baked some fantastic food, all gluten-free. People were unaware of it, which a lot of the time they're still unaware that a lot of the food in here is gluten-free. Because I think if you find a good enough baker, it doesn't make any difference. It shouldn't make any difference. In Cambridge, there's a very high awareness around gluten-free, whether it's just because the doctors are more aware. We have a really good clinic at Adam Brooks, um, specialised in celiac disease. It helps keep your weight down. It's less aggressive on the stomach. So a lot of people are choosing gluten-free food. How do you make sure that the gluten-free stuff you have in the shop is remains gluten-free and uncontaminated? Well, yeah, we have several... If we do sandwiches, make sandwiches, it's um, a gluten-free bread. We haven't got a... a a separate toaster at the moment but I always ask people if they're happy to use the same toaster if not we use a griddle and, and grill so sandwiches and things got a different cutting board so so it depends on the level of um, intolerance people have we have loads of gluten free stuff um, everything that is gluten free has to be kept away from anything that is like non gluten free washing utensils like before you cut like another piece of cake we have our menu basically labeled anything with gf gluten free for celiacs has gf on it we even have gf bread to go with the soups we have regular bread we have gf bread we have lots of alternatives we have dairy custard we have soya custard but we do a lot of gluten free things we've got main courses are labeled gf so it's quite popular I mean, not only, not only GF, celiac people come here, everyone comes here, but it's another thing, you know, some people say, oh, that's good, this is the only place I can have dessert, or GF, gluten-free bread with their soup. Has it, have you seen an increase in people ordering gluten-free, or is it always just food? Well, I think so. Like you know, when I... I mean, I'm quite old now, but in the 70s when I was at school, I don't remember anyone 
in the whole of my primary school class having a special diet. But now there seems more people who are suffering from either irritable bowel or need celiac or can't have this or can't eat wheat or can't eat nuts. But all that stuff seems, seems to have increased. I can't remember anyone in my primary school or school, for instance, everyone just used to eat, I think, everything. A lot of people can't choose to be, you know, they are celiac, and other people choose to be gluten-free. So there's a lot of people also choosing to be gluten-free because it's a lighter diet. They're getting, people are getting cleaner and cleaner in what they eat. And at the moment, I used to sell a lot of bread, a lot of cakes. People now are eating less bread, less pastry. So you have to adapt to the market. Nice to hear Polly Pluvier's voice again. As people are cooking with a wide variety of ingredients and even just more aware of food intolerances, it's interesting to hear how the need for gluten-free foods can make cafes and even the supermarkets adapt. You can find so much gluten-free products around town and those were just a few places that stock them. There's many food stalls on Cambridge Market, for example, that do gluten-free. Uh, there's a national website too that you can check out. It's called celiac.org.uk. It's got recipes. It's got a downloadable app containing a database of roughly 200,000 suitable products and a built-in barcode scanner for when you're out and about shopping just to make sure that you're buying the correct item then and there. And that is Green Onion signalling the start of our job section. The Flock Cafe in Burwash Manor has vacancies for full or part-time front-of-house staff. You can apply via Instagram or phone Lucy on 07791 119707. And in case you've already forgotten that, I know I have, or whether you just needed time to grab a pen, it is 07791 119707. Full or part-time staff are also needed at Restaurant 22 in Chesterton Road. It's a three-day-a-week job, and to apply, email alex at restaurant22.co.uk. The Clarendon Arms is a pub next door to, well, very close to Parker's Peace, and they're looking for a kitchen assistant. It's 12 hours a week, which will always include weekends and evenings, and you'll be working with a team of two in quite a small kitchen. Now, you can either hand in your CV or you can apply online at theclarendonarms.com. And they're looking for part-time bar staff, too. Finn Boys need a chef. Email info at finn-boys.com to apply. And the Trinity in Trinity Street urgently needs a full-time senior chef to party. Sous chefs are needed at Wagamama in St Andrew Street and at Churchill College, where there's two vacancies. The closing date for that is the 20th of August. Commie chefs are needed at the University Arms Hotel, Gonville and Keys College, where the closing date is the 25th of August, if the position hasn't already been filled by then, and at King's College. Chefs are needed at Bill's in Green Street and Zizi in Bennett Street. And finally, the Burley Arms in Newmarket Road uh, has vacancies for a sous chef, a junior sous chef and a kitchen porter. And that takes us to the end of our programme for today. So don't forget, we are here on Alternate Saturdays at 12 noon, repeated on Mondays at 6pm and Thursdays at 2pm. We will also be available as a podcast early in the next week. Coming up on Cambridge 105 Radio today at 1pm is the Gadget Guide. Uh, that's until 2 o'clock and then it's Sue Marchant's selection. But that's all from us. We'll be back on the 27th of August with lots more food and drink news, jobs and features. So until then, goodbye. goodbye.